How many of you last Monday got to see the eclipse? Any of you actually get to see the whole thing, 100% eclipse? Anybody here travel to one of those zones and get to see it? I saw pictures. It was spectacular. And it was so interesting that finally our country could find one thing to rally around. I mean, I didn't see anybody protesting the eclipse, (laughs) saying it was unfair, you know, that's harmful to our eyes, anything like that. and, and we need things to rally around. You know, often we rally around our enemies. And, and unfortunately, that, that becomes um, a very divisive thing in our country when it becomes political parties and, and different movement, movements. But I want to tell you, our, our real enemy isn't the KKK. It's not our president. It's not ISIS. It's not even Kim Jong-un. Your real enemy is spiritual. And I want to rally us today as one body to recognize the fact that there is someone out to destroy your relationship with God. And many of you are well aware of it. You, you understand you're in the midst of a battle. There are others of you who are rather oblivious to it and don't understand what's happening. And maybe there's things happening in your life that are a little bit hard to explain. But just maybe there might be an explanation through an understanding of the spiritual forces at work all around us every single day. Last Sunday, if you were here for our services, um, we had 22 people who were baptized at our three services. It was a great day of celebration as individuals said yes to God. And one of those individuals is a gal that I've watched since she was a lot younger. And she's been in this church for a very long time, had a hard life. Family's been very broken. She's suffered some very big heartaches in her life. She's a single mom trying to raise three kids. and, And she said, today's the day. And she posted her picture or her video of her baptism on Facebook and then made this declaration, I am now a soldier of God. And I think she recognizes the fact that 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 is very true. That when you give your life to Christ, you get this new identity. You're a child of God. You're part of his family. You belong to his church. You've enlisted in his army. You have a new identity. And that identity is so critical. It's one of the main themes of the book of Ephesians. And we're starting a study of the book of Ephesians. Ironically, we're not actually going to be in Ephesians um, for, for a few weeks. These first three weeks are an introduction to the book of Ephesians because I want you to understand the background to the book of Ephesians. And last week we talked about what God has done for us in Jesus, not just forgiving us of our sins, but coming to dwell inside of us through his Holy Spirit. And today I want to look, look even more at, at how our identity in, in him is so critical for our uh, ability to engage in this spiritual conflict all around us. Who you are in Christ makes all the difference in how you engage in this battle. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, this is an event that occurred during Paul's second missionary trip to Ephesus. He actually stayed there for three years. It's the longest time he stayed in any one location. And I believe the reason he stayed there for three years was to form a, a beachhead for mission operation to take the gospel into Asia. But in order to understand some of the, the teachings of Ephesians, you really need to know about the people. What were they dealing with? What were they struggling with? Why was Paul instructing them? I mean, the letter was written about 10 years after these events. But these events, I really believe, open our eyes to truths that are found in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to start with uh, Acts chapter 19. By the way, if you ever come here don't have a Bible, we've got a tall cabinet in back. You can grab one there. If you would like a, a Bible on your phone, download the Version app. And then you'll have a free Bible to go with you everywhere that you go. So here we are, verse 11. 
It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Now, this is very similar to ministry that Jesus did. Goes around and and he's preaching and he's healing people. We understand people need to be healed physically. We understand disease. We see doctors all the time. We take our kids to the doctor. We go to hospitals. We understand a lot about diseases. But what about this other part? This Curing of the evil spirits. Do you know anything about that? Do you have any, any understanding of, of what that's talking about? Because if you don't, I want you to have your eyes open today to a greater reality of the spiritual realm. And here's the first thing I want you to know. Demonic powers are real. They are very real. It's discussed in Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Things like demons and devils and evil spirits, these, these dark powers that are at work in this world. And you may look at the Bible and say, well, pastor, that was back then. That was back before they had understanding. That was back before science, before you really understood what made people go crazy or what caused people to do things. I mean, they just labeled everything that was bad as of the devil. You know, people can go to one of two extremes regarding the devil. One is they can deny his existence. And that is largely what Western culture has done. All of us have a worldview. A worldview is a lens or a filter through which you understand the world around you. What are the people? What is their purpose? What is morality? What happens after we die? How do I explain things? It is, it is your worldview. And in the Western world, worldview, which is very different, say, from an Eastern worldview, we don't believe as a whole, as a country, in the spiritual realm. We believe that everything has a physical cause. If there's a problem, you look for the physical cause. When you go to the doctor, they look for a physical cause for your illness. They never look for a spiritual cause. You go to Asia, you go to South America, you go to Africa, and you've got a physical issue, very likely they will deal with spiritual causes that might be responsible for that. For the last 50 years in our country, we felt that man had all the answers he needed through science and education. And you look at where we are today. Are we healthier than we were 50 years ago with all the advances in science, with all the health memberships we have, with all the diet plans we have? Why are are we so unhealthy? Why are there more pills being popped today than ever before? We're we're more financially prosperous than we've ever been in history. And at the same time, more depressed than we've ever been before. We think that man is so smart and yet, yet... the whole political climate, not only of our country, but in this world, is in disarray. Nation, fighting against nation. People don't know how to get along with one another. Could it be that there are spiritual forces around and active in all these different areas of our lives, and yet we're refusing to acknowledge it and deal with it? The denial of demons is dangerous, but I would say there's another danger. It's going to the other extreme and blaming everything on the devil and demons. Everything that's bad. It happens. It's a hot day. Oh, that's the devil. You know, uh, I didn't get the job. That's the devil. You know, we blame everything on the devil. I remember when I went on my very first mission trip to Uganda in 1991. The day after we arrived, the day we were supposed to begin ministering to the children in that city, the power went out. We weren't able to use some of the equipment we brought because there was no electricity. There wasn't any for three days. One of the members of the household where we were staying said, It's very clear Satan doesn't want you here. He's upset that you're here because this is the first time the power is going off all year. I thought, wow. Is that just coincidence or is that spiritual forces at work? 
Three days later, when the power came back on, I just commented to people at the dinner table, man, it is just so interesting that the day we were to start ministry, the power went out. And then some lady said, oh, it goes out all the time. I said, what do you mean it goes out all the time? I was told this is the first time all year that the power has gone out. She goes, yes, we're in the middle of January. It's so easy to blame things on Satan. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying that he doesn't have some responsibility, but what I'm saying is I can screw up my life pretty well without his help. I really can. I can get myself in a lot of trouble without Satan's help. But when you look at Jesus' ministry, he dealt with demons. He, he met Satan in the wilderness. He was casting out demons in a number of different cases. He even gave authority to his disciples. In fact, in in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10, he sends out his disciples to preach, to heal, and cast demons out of people. And in verse 19, here's what he says. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You're going to go forth with my power and have victory. So they they did that. And, And the demons left people and they were so ecstatic. They came back all excited saying, Jesus, even the spirits obey us. And Jesus cautioned them. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Be humble in your victory, but know this. Your greatest accomplishment in your life is not your defeat of Satan in some area. It's the fact that you have a place reserved in heaven for you for eternity. That's what you should be most excited about. That's where your identity is. It resides in what God has done for you. But the Bible says that that Satan is a power in this world. And he reminds them in the, when he writes this letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, of where they used to be connected. He says, you used to follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He reminds them. There's a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians. This is one time where he talks about this other spirit. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Satan, the devil. And he's saying that he's a ruler. That, that word in Greek refers to the highest-ranking officer in a region. Satan is a high-ranking angel with legions of angels underneath him. He rules over this planet Earth over those who are disobedient, because you know what? Everybody is disobedient. And you know when you consciously disobey God, you're claiming your allegiance is with him. And he tells the Ephesians, that's who you used to follow. Whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you've ever said in your life, well, I'm following the devil. No, we don't do that. I doubt if the Ephesians ever said that. But the reality is they were. Why? Because they were being disobedient to God's plan for their lives. Whenever you reject God's authority in your life, you are saying yes to the devil. Kind of scary, isn't it? Kind of scary to give him that kind of rulership in our lives. Jesus called him the prince of this world, the God of this age, Paul says. And we, we try to minimize who he is through our animation. I mean, how many of us have seen a picture like this of saying this is who Satan is? A little cartoon character with the pitchfork. Kind of cute, right? Sparky, the sun devil, mascot, right? He's, he's harmless. He's just cute. Maybe, maybe causing a little bit of mischief here and there, but nothing to be afraid of. Or maybe we see it like this, this, this conflict between these two voices on our shoulder, the angel and the demon speaking to us. But then, then sometimes if you watch some other movies, 
Satan can be portrayed kind of like this. And then you start to say, hey, hey, that's not as cute anymore. That's looking a little bit frightening. Well, Satan is frightening. Someone that we should be fearful of. And so Paul writes, and get this, this is the background to Ephesians 6 where Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Wake up, you are in an all-out fight. And you may think Floyd Mayweather can throw a punch. Satan is relentless in his attack upon you and me. He's real, very real. But a month ago, at our first service, 755 service, lady walked into church, sat in the very front row, and the guardians, our, our ministry that uh, kind of protects us, security team, they were on alert because they said, this, this looks a little strange. They noticed when she came in, she was just acting a little bit strange, sat down in front. During worship, she was raising her hands, but in a very unusual way. It was, it, her arms were kind of contorted and making all these weird gestures. And we thought, this is not some new funky dance like she's doing the robot. She's actually almost like she's contorting, like she's in pain. And then came time for communion. And during communion... I watched. I, I leaned over to a guardian sitting next to me, and because I've read a lot, I did a, I did a research paper in seminary on spiritual warfare. I said it's very common that people that are demonized have a difficult time with communion because that's focused on the blood of Christ, his sacrifice. And so I watched very keenly to see what she would do. She took the cup in her hand, and I kid you not, she lifted up and she could not get it to her mouth. It's like her arm froze and it shook. And she took this hand and she tried to get it to her mouth and couldn't. It was like her, 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 this arm was resisting and wouldn't bring it to her lips. And then, and then she started moaning real loud. Very disturbing and eerie in this whole auditorium. And so the guardians came along beside her. And, and one of the gals in our first service is a prayer warrior. She got on her knees and began to pray over her. And she settled down and she sat there the rest of the service. At the end of the service, I walked down to meet her. And I said, I'm so glad that you've been here today in the Lord's presence. She could not lift her face to look at me. But she just lifted her hand and I took it and I prayed over her. And I believe that there was a presence in her life that day. That was not of God. That was very evil. When she went out, the guardian says she smelt of alcohol. Now, I don't think alcohol caused it, but I do think alcohol may have been a contributing factor to opening a door to an evil presence. So whether or not that was a demonic activity, I do know this. Demons are real. Jesus said so. And then we go on with the story, because this gets even, <laughs> even more interesting. In fact, this, is the, this would make an incredible frightening movie. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I mean, this is a frightening story. These guys were watching Paul. And by the way, exorcism was a common practice 
spiritualism was very common in Ephesus. It was a center for magic and sorcery. And these guys watched Paul cast demons out of people, as we saw. And so they figured, hey, I know how he does it. He uses the name of Jesus. That's the formula, because they were big on magic formulas and incantations and charms and amulets and all those kinds of things. And I've got the key. That's how magic works. I can manipulate the spirit world through formulas and, and through potions and all those sorts of things. So these brothers go into this house where this man is demon-possessed. I, I wonder why they took seven there, but I have a feeling if it doesn't work, we've got seven of us. We can take this guy, okay? <laughs> and one of them, I don't know how they drew straws to see who would do it, but one of them said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. And, and the demon says, wait a minute. I know Jesus. I know Jesus way too well. And I know about Paul. I see what he's doing. I have no clue who you guys are. Think about that for a minute. The devil doesn't know them. They have no authority, no power to be doing what they're trying to do. And so the demon rises up in the body of this man and goes Liam Neeson on them. I mean, like in the Taken movies, boom, man, he's just, he's just going after them. Seven guys, he's throwing them everywhere. He's ripping their clothes off. These guys run out screaming, naked, bleeding. It's horrible. It's horrifying. It's frightening. And you need to know, demonic powers are strong. Strong. One man with one demon, stronger than seven men. One man with one Holy Spirit is stronger than a legion of demons. The Holy Spirit in you is greater than any power outside of you. And that's a truth we need to grab a hold of. That's why I think when Paul came into Ephesus, as we looked last week, first question was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? We don't normally ask the question, but I think Paul recognized, if you don't, you're heading for a beating. You need him in your life because this is warfare. You need you need his equipment. You need his power to overcome this other power. Satan is a strong power. He's, he's mighty, but God is almighty. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I hope, I hope Satan knows me by my name. I want to be known on a first-name basis by the evil one. Not that I'm his buddy. Not that I'm a friend, but that he's afraid of me. I hope that when I get on my knees to pray, Satan starts to shake. I I hope and pray that when I'm preaching God's word that Satan says, oh no, not that again. He should be afraid of the believer who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we don't have to be afraid of him even though he's strong. We've been given what we need to fight the battle. In fact, I want to look real quickly at a story probably most of you are familiar with. That right after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, he went into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. And we learn from that story three things, three key truths about fighting and winning the spiritual battle. When a believer does these things, they are strong. First of all, here's what Jesus did, stood on God's word. When you stand on God's word, you are strong in the battle. When Satan came to him, and you can read this, we don't have time to look up these verses, but it's in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. When he went into the desert, Satan tempted him three times, and every time Jesus responded in the very same way, it is written, and he quoted scripture. Do you know your greatest uh, tool in fighting against the enemy is the word of God? Paul says in Ephesians 6 that it is the sword of the spirit, the word of God, a sword to attack 
to confront the lies, to defeat the strongholds he has in our lives. That's why it's so critical to know this book. That's why it's so important we get to understand the promises and what we have in Christ recorded in the scriptures. We also are strong against the evil one when we're full of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Luke chapter 4, the very first verse. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Two very key things. Jesus was full of the Spirit. How do we know that? Because he was led by the Spirit. Having the Spirit is one thing. Being full of the Spirit is another. Some of you are running on half tank, quarter tank. Now, the Holy Spirit's a person. He's not gas. He's not electricity. He's not a force. But what it means is that when the Holy Spirit's in your life, he wants to reign in your life. He wants full control of your life. And some of us only only give him a little, little part of control in our lives. But when you're full of the Spirit, now, how do I know? How do I know if you're full of the Spirit? Some of you are full of it, I know. Full of the Spirit, Full of the Spirit, because you're being led by the Spirit. When you're full of the Spirit, you're being led by the Spirit. You're going where he leads. You're going in his power. We need to go in his power. That's the way of victory. But there's another piece of the story that I think is very amazing, because Jesus knew his identity, and a believer is strong who knows his or her identity in Christ. If you go back to when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, this voice came from heaven, It was his heavenly father saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Do you know that the very first temptation Satan gave to Jesus, he said this, if you are the son of God, if you are who you claim to be, if you are who he says you are. And I I think in our lives, when, when Satan comes working around us, he begins to attack us at the point of identity. Am I really forgiven? He whispers in our ears. Am I really saved? Could God forgive me for that? Does he love me? And so Satan begins to whisper these things to question our identity. But know who you are in Christ. I'm a child of God. I've been washed by the blood. I've been been sealed with the spirit. I've been equipped for ministry. That's who I am. I have a whole new identity because of who I am in Christ. You need to know your identity. But what happened next is, is, is truly amazing. It says, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I mean, this... This stirred up the townspeople. Those who were believers went back home, dug through their closets, opened their drawers, pulled together all these scrolls of sorcery and magic, all these things that they still had in their possession. Even though they'd given their lives to Christ, it's almost as if they kept these things saying, eh, that's part of our past, I want to hold on to that. Or, Or maybe they thought, if the Jesus thing doesn't work out or Jesus doesn't give us quite everything we need. We always can go back to the magic stuff. But here's what they realized. Demonic powers are real and they are strong and we don't want to mess with them anymore. And they slammed the door shut on it. They brought these scrolls together. They, they, they piled them up and burned them. Part of me says, wait, it was worth 50,000 drachmas. A drachma is a day's wage. 
Day's wage today is roughly, I don't know, close to $200. The value of the scrolls, these aren't your average goodwill books. These are valued books. The value of those books and scrolls was $10 million. Went up in smoke that day. But they were free from the demonic powers that were still hovering in their lives. We need to slam the door on demonic powers. You know, every day in our house, we find flies. They just kind of multiply. They just, they just appear. And they, they fly around the house, and so we've got a couple of fly swatters who walk around always smacking these things and kill four to six every single day. But honestly, I, I know exactly where those flies are coming from. We have dogs that go in and out the back door. And the flies come in the open door. See, they're just hovering around the house, waiting for an open window, an open door, and then they come in. And I think Satan's exactly the same way. Satan, Satan doesn't get a hold of a person's life without an invitation or without a, a door that's left open. He can't force you to follow his will, but he sure can linger closely. And we need to know that Jesus came not only to forgive our sins, but to give us victory over him. It says in 1 John 3, Verse 8. We put that up on the screen. 1 John 3, 8. Okay, I'm going to look it up. Oh, there it is. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. See, when we sin, again, we're saying, I like that ruler, he is my Lord. I want to follow him. And Jesus came to break that, that, that connection with the enemy and to keep us from walking in sin. Because when you walk in sin, and this is true even of a believer, when you continue to walk in sin and, and listen to the voice of the enemy, you fall into bondage to his will. One time Paul prayed for a couple of men in his church. He wrote to Timothy about these men. And, and he, he said that they, he prayed that they would come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. It's almost like they're hostages of Satan. Why? Because they've been listening to him, following his will. There are only two masters and two rulers on this planet, Jesus and Satan. There's only two. There's only two kingdoms, kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. There are only two wills to obey, God's or the devil's. And if you're not obeying God's will, guess whose will you are obeying? See, all across our land, we may think this is a Christian nation. It's not. It's not. Satan, Satan has a strong hold on our political system, on our government, our, our media and entertainment industry. He has, a, he has a hold on business. He has a hold on educational institutions. Any area of life that is not expressly surrendered to the lordship of Christ is being used as a tool of the evil one. And we've left a lot of doors open. In 1 John 5.19, John summarizes it like this. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. When I was a young Christian... Less than a year. I was 16 years old. Uh, the leader of our youth group wanted to take a group of kids to see a new movie that was out. And I went along, and then when we got to the theater, I, I recognized the movie we were going to see. It was called The Shining. Many of you know The Shining, a horror movie starring Jack Nicholson. Now, I, I started having doubts, like, I don't know if we should be here. We're a church youth group. What are we doing at a horror movie? But 
peer pressure got to me and I decided to go in with the group and we're watching the movie, yet I'm having this inner struggle saying, God, I don't know if we should be here. I don't know if this is the kind of thing you want us to be seeing. And, and then I said, well, maybe I'm just being too narrow-minded. Maybe I, I, I'm, I'm a killjoy. I don't want to say anything. I'm just going to keep it to myself. And I prayed this prayer. It says, God, if this is bad for me, if this is bad in itself, reveal its evil to me. And I kid you not, the intensity of the movie built, and there was a time in the movie when Jack Nicholson's character was running around the house with, a, with an axe. And uh, my heart started like pounding out of my chest. I mean, it, I felt like I was going to uh, pass out. And I just hung my head down, and, and it was this God said, It's that evil. This is evil. At that moment, I said, I will never go to see another horror movie. I believe horror movies don't honor God and leave a door open to the evil one. I started feeling convicted about the record collection I had. Kids, there used to be these vinyl things, 33s. (laughs) Big deal for us. So I was collecting these things, and I had, you know, I had uh, Beach Boys and... And I, I had the Eagles, and I started feeling convicted about those records. And it was almost as if they're really not helping me walk with the Lord, but they're just kind of fun. Then I just had this strong feeling like I need to get rid of them. And, and part of me said, well, I paid good money for them. Maybe I should sell them. And, and I had this strong thing in my heart says, no, because they're not good for anybody else either. Get rid of them. So I made a tough decision. I took all my albums. I leaned them on the bottom step of our back porch and just put my foot like that on it. Cracked them all in half, left them in their sleeves, dropped them in the trash in our kitchen. My dad came by later that day, pulled the, one of those out of the trash and says, what is this? I explained to him what I'd done. Now, my dad wasn't a believer. He was angry at me for being so wasteful. Now, I'm not telling you to go destroy all your music but that might be something you need to do. Because here's, here's what I know is true. When you are a new believer, you are very sensitive to those things. And the longer you walk with the Lord, the longer you live out your faith, the more you start to compromise. I've seen it over and over again. Where believers start to leave these doors open. All of a sudden, the, the believer says, it's okay to watch these kind of movies, listen to this kind of music, play these kind of video games. It's okay to look at pornography a little bit, to visit these chat sites, to be a married person who's, who's going on a Craigslist encounters and just playing around with it, to read romance novels that stir up desires. Within. Yeah, that's, that's just harmless. Fifty Shades of Grey, it's just a movie. And, and we're toying with these things. We're flirting with someone that we're not married to. We think it's just innocent. It's just okay. It's just harmless. We're, we're into drugs and alcohol and, and not realizing that, that in the weakness of our mind that they were opening ourselves to the evil one and looking for things outside, information outside of God's revelation through astrology through talking with the dead, through paranormal experiences. We're very fascinated by that. But I'm telling you, these all can be doors that we're leaving open that basically says, Satan, it's okay to get in. Did you know that one of the, one of the, the, the easiest places for Satan to get access to our lives is through emotional issues, bitterness, pride, jealousy, even anger. Did you know the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold? My brother, my big brother Jerry, used to chase us around the house. 
And we'd run into the room thinking if we could just close the door, latch it, we'd be safe. And just as we're closing the door, it's about three inches from closing, a toe gets in the doorway. And we, we can throw all of our weight against it. We cannot get that door closed. And what came next was terrifying. The hand. And then the knee. And then the shoulder. And the hip. And we run for cover under the bed and we are toast because he got that foothold. Footholds eventually become strongholds. Places where the enemy has access to our lives and a place to begin roaming around. Now, I know sometimes Christians say, well, I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus. The devil can't touch me. You want to bet? You want to bet? He may not be able to dwell in you in the sense of demon possession. He can sure harass you. He can sure occupy a place in your mind and in your heart when you've left a door open for him. And just pleading with you, shut the door. Keep the devil out. Charles Kraft, who was a a professor at Fuller Seminary, uh, dealt a lot with inner healing and deliverance ministry for for 30, 40 years. Says of over 3,000 patients he's dealt with, he's, he's discovered that in many of those cases, the inner trauma going on in a person's life was caused by demonic spirits. But he says this. This is very fascinating. He says, the problem really wasn't the demons. The problem was what the demons were attached to. And then he said this. Demons are like rats, and rats feed on the garbage. Think about that. When we allow garbage to sit in our heart, in our lives, that draws the demons. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you at all. I'm just telling you the reality of the spiritual battle that's all around us. And you have the power and authority to shut the door on the devil. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you've got the power you need to win the victory. But don't, don't be oblivious to the things going on around you. Don't block out the voice of the Holy Spirit that's been telling you. Cancel it. Shut it off. Walk away. Flush it down the toilet. Burn it. Destroy it. It is ruining your walk with the Lord. Don't listen to culture which tells us to to accept it, to accommodate it, to coddle it, to make it part of our lives. You can walk with God and have your witchcraft and sorcery on the side. It's okay. Have the kind of holy fear the Ephesians did and said, you know what, I'm breaking ties today. So I want to ask you, is there something that God's calling you to give up? Something that the devil has gotten a foothold in your life over. If you've got a bulletin there, I want you to write it on that line there. I want you to write it on the line in that bulletin. What is that thing? What is the thing that maybe God through his spirit has been whispering you to for some time? You know, cancel the cable. Really cancel. Get out of that group of people. What's he whispering to you? Write it down there. Write it down. Have the courage to say, God, today, today is a day. I'm crossing that line. I'm closing that door. And this is it. And whatever you wrote on that line, you need to tell someone. You need to show it to your spouse. Show it to a friend. Show it to a pastor saying, this is what I'm surrendering today. We're not going to have a bonfire today. But we're surrendering these areas of our lives. In fact, when you read the book of Ephesians, all of a sudden, verses like these start to have a whole new meaning. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is praying this for the Ephesian believers. That we would understand and know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, and only in, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. There is no name like Jesus. Far above every other power that exists, every evil, dark power, Jesus is greater. So surrender your life to Jesus. Live your life for Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you need to surrender to him.